I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I've been reading all the Hi, welcome to this episode of Put That Coffee Down. I'm live on location here with Hiram Hartnett. He is the Center VP of Sales over at Pegasus Logistics Group, and we are in, I believe, Appel. Is that the way? Appel, Texas. Yeah, Appel, Texas, over here near DFW Airport, um, talking about sales and brokerage and all of that good stuff. So, Hiram, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. Um, Honor to be here. We're excited to have you on site here at Corporate. Perfect. Well, let's talk a little bit about Pegasus Logistics and kind of when you're founded. You've been here 19 years, I think yeah. you were saying, and, and kind of what you guys do in the, the 3PL. Yeah, so um, 28-year-old company founded by Ken Beam. I'm proud to still be privately held, um, single ownership. Um, I've been here 19 years. Um, I think what's, what's pretty amazing about companies, you're going to see a lot of people continue to bring on a bunch of amazing talent, um, play heavy in the freight forwarding space, um, and then solutions for a lot of the high-tech automotive uh, medical equipment, uh, Fortune 100 companies out there in the world. Nice. So a lot of high-touch, white-glove type of Fighter. value freight moving in Yep. Out. Yeah, so uh, we like to use the term consequence, uh, pain. If there's no consequence mm-hmm. to... Um, us making a mistake, then typically it's not an ideal client. So we thrive in the high touch, uh, really human touch aspect of bringing that superior client experience. Perfect. Well, let's talk about sales. Let's talk about you've been here 19 years. Yes. Been in logistics for 19 years. Yes. How has sales changed or has it really changed at all in those 19 years? Oh, yeah. So uh, started in the trucking business with Consolidate Freightways as a, a sales rep. Um, moved on to overnight, then got into the freight forwarding space. And um, I think change would be an understatement, right? If you if you go back 19 years, you beat on doors. You rarely even made phone calls. You walked into people's buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, in my opinion, it was easy, right? Because you got easy access to decision makers or you got at least easy access to people. Yeah. You fast forward to today, we've been through the virtual selling environments. Um, you can't knock on any doors hardly because you can't get into buildings. And so now you've got to utilize all these tools to somehow get in the door with um, clients that are getting just overrun with prospecting and sales calls. I know. So uh, drastic change. For you them. know, 20 years ago, you know, I was around 20 years ago, not in logistics, but in other things, uh, security wasn't really an issue. Yep. Deal things. Now yep. it's like hyper security. So you can't really get in the door. That's right. It's That's right. Upper in, in that respect. And then you don't know. Right now, you're talking about virtual selling. If that person that you need to speak to is even on site, that's right. That's right. right. And that's for sure. I mean, back in the day, you called on a customer; they were typically in that in that facility or in that manufacturing facility. Now you've got people anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. So um, you can't just scour LinkedIn and hope that it says that they sit in Salt Lake City when in reality they sit in in Baltimore. And so it makes the selling environment harder. Um, time is money. Um, travel, all that other stuff, yeah. um, and then again, uh, from from a from a client perspective, you've got a lot of really cool shields you can use to avoid mm-hmm. uh, the prospecting salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> I know so many shields, but there is a shield that you can use. We were talking about it a while ago. Um, when you're a salesperson, to eliminate not only the costs, the yeah. less of productivity, 
of of on-site visits, um, but also, you know, the windshield time. Yeah. The windshield right. time is important. I remember, you know, even 10 years ago, five years ago, uh, you're always trying to get face-to-face meetings yep. from the get-go. Yep. You know, you don't really want a phone meeting. You want to, to dive right into that. That's right. So, you know, driving down to Dallas from Oklahoma or things like yep. that. I mean, this like, you know, six hours down here, six hours back, hotel. That's right. Um, two lost days of, of really working to go do five or six meetings where you had no idea how it was going to. That's right. You walked in. So I remember walking into many offices and like I that's right. <laughs> but using the virtual sales tool, yep, in the qualifying process as another rung in the ladder to qualify, make sure that it's worth even coming down and visiting. Yep. And, and how that's a tool for you guys. Yeah, for sure. So we we talked about that earlier. I think what's 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 awesome is um time is money, right? Um you could save on travel and all the basic costs, the dollars. But, um, you know, in sales, you want to have a productive meeting and honestly, the, the, the prospect wants to have a productive yeah. meeting. So, uh, versus flying to Baltimore to go make that call, um, spending an hour in somebody's office and then realizing that there's no fit, you've wasted both of each other's time yeah. and commitment. Um, versus now we, we tend to try and get that prospecting appointment, get that qualification done virtually. To really make sure that there is a go forward path with yeah. that prospect. And then it allows us to be more prepared for the second call for one, allow if we need to go see them face to face, which we typically do, we can even bring in our solutions group sooner than later. Mm-hmm. So in reality, it can speed up a deal or a solution for a customer. Um, well, it's funny though, I just thought about it. Um, what was interesting is is when COVID hit, we went heavy on virtual sales training. Um, and what we found is so many salespeople think that they can walk in and win with charisma, yeah. right? Uh, everybody yeah. likes me. You know, I just yeah. walk in. If I get in front of them, they're going to buy from me. And I think I've heard that from every salesperson I've ever met. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, the reality there is, though, what you found in, in virtual selling is a lot of people don't have the selling skills necessary to really win. They use their charisma to win and it changed the game. So, Investing in your people and making sure they understand sales process, the right messaging, how to target customers and have the right conversations became a much bigger um, situation for us. And I think you see that when you use your charisma to win, but oftentimes they become bad deals because that's right. Thought out. Yeah, that's right. You don't have the X's and O's in place. And that's what yeah. actual selling kind of forced in where you have to really provide solutions. That's right. Runs. That's right. For to the deal to progress further. Yeah, we have a joke. This is actually our virtual selling. We used to say when we we do a virtual selling call, mm-hmm. customer would turn off their camera. Like if we can get them to turn on the camera, then then, then we might yeah. have a, an opportunity. But th- that was their way of also shielding any personal touch to the virtual selling process, which again made it more challenging and made it more important to why you need to bring value to the call versus yeah. charisma, because they aren't seeing the value on the front end, and that's their way of. Basically saying, I may turn on my camera <laughs> if what I hear from you sounds like there's any forward path in this relationship. Yeah. I, and that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Is that forward path. And, and I think I think you are seeing this. I, because I, we were talking about this, you know, sales reps want to be on the road. They yeah. want to, to sure. be in person. They want to turn on the charisma. For sure. But maybe a little later in the stay. That's right. And speeding up deals is a very important point that, that you brought up is that um, 
especially if you have a lot of people on balls, right? Yep. It's just, just one-on-one, it's not that big of a deal. But if you have four, five, six people on both sides involved, especially the higher up you go, yep. getting everyone's schedules aligned in the same room, That's right. traveling could take months. Yep. But well, if you can do that it, it, virtually, right? No. It might take a week or two. Well, you're right. And it, it, even when you go back that 20 years ago of selling, mm-hmm. you you typically sold to a logistics or a traffic manager, yes. right? Now you sell to procurement operations, VPs, sometimes even executives with all the supply chain issues yeah. that have gone on the last few years. So it does lead to that importance since getting those five people on a call mm-hmm. is almost impossible. And with all the virtual working environments today, there's a there's low likelihood that they're all sitting in the same building, anyways, right? So- um, that's super important. Very, uh, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't have the technology. Right. We didn't even have technology. That's right. Department. So most of us, right? But, but you don't have your own technology department. You don't have their technology department that have to sit down and talk yep. to one another a- as well. It adds in those those layers. That's right. That's right. What do you think about supply chains and, and kind of what shippers are, are thinking about right now, especially um, international shipping? Right. Um, um, what are their thoughts on on the importance that they're placing on the supply chain today as opposed to certainly five years ago, but even three years ago? Yeah, I think if you go back if you go back five years ago, visibility was king, right? Let's talk about visibility. How do we provide technology that allows end-to-end visibility within your supply chain? Because most customers struggle. They don't usually single source their transportation. Yeah. So they're using multiple providers, multiple hundreds and hundreds of suppliers. So every time you can't see it, you got a challenge, right? Then you fast forward to COVID, uh, became a capacity disaster. Anybody that had a truck or a plane or a boat um, could capture some significant market share and make a lot of money. Um, and so that made supply chain executives start to rethink like, oh my gosh, uh, do we nearshore? Do we go to Mexico? What can we do to slow transit and you know mitigate some sort of risk? Well, now you fast forward today, you're in a, you're in a, on the international ocean side, you're in a, uh, uh, almost a bottom feeder environment. Um, Ocean went from a a white glove delivery two years ago in terms of high touch to a, uh, back to a commodity where rates have bottomed out. And so now obviously people are looking at cost, um, but I still think you see a lot of effort. And even if you read the Wall Street Journal now, what I love about transportation and logistics today is I can talk about it with my friends and they know about it because the Wall Street Journal talks about it clients trying to de-risk. Um, and so a lot of supply chain inject- executives are looking at either freight forwarders, solutions providers to help them de-risk in the future because even though it's a commodity today and the market's bottomed out, that doesn't mean change can't happen tomorrow. And how do you plan ahead versus just kind of, I think everybody's learned if you just ride yeah. the wave of it's okay, you're going to get burned and that can kill your sales and and uh, a lot of other things. That was my next question. I, you know that that risk portion of it because that's that's one of the things I really see that this different in in the entire corporate landscape, not just supply chain. It feeds down is going from efficiency. Yep, the highest efficiency, lean everything. Yep, to risk. Yep, de-risk. You yep. have to de-risk. You want a little bit. You want some redundancies in your systems. Yeah, I want to be a little bit more robust so that you can handle uh, something like the um, like the pandemic. Yep. Yeah. Hopefully, we we never see that. But you know what? We probably will. Maybe not a pandemic, very, but we're going to see something very likely. 
that yeah. comes in and shocks the system, maybe not as severe. Uh, hopefully not for a few more years. Yeah. But it seems like every 20 years, you find something bad that shocks the system. For sure. Uh, the 70s, you have the oil crisis. Yep. Right? You have the, the, the um, uh, you know, the OPEC blockade area. Yeah. Embargo. That's the word I was looking for. The embargo, you know, the ADC has something, the ADC has something. It seems like it's always out there. The world that's right. is uh, a risky place. Yeah. No, I mean, I, it was funny. I just, uh, I just, my, our interns just took a tour of a, a high-tech facility we have here um, at corporate. And part of the presentation they got was the robots that are going to be implemented in the warehouse. And so, you know, everybody talks about technology and, and, and robots and stuff like that. But when you think about it, that was a bad word five years ago. Yes. Like, oh, you're killing jobs, mm. right? Today, you're looking at it as a de-risk option. Yeah. If there was a pandemic or if there was a continued labor shortage, how do we use robots to be more efficient, more productive, and allow the people that we love and want to support and continue to hire do other things? Yeah. But it helps de-risk, and it's is I I laugh at like, like self-checkout machines, right? Yeah, that was a job killer five years ago. Yeah. today everybody wants it because there's nobody or there hasn't been anybody for so many years due to pandemics and labor shortages to actually get you through the line at the grocery store, right? So it just completely flipped upside down. It, it does. And then you know, Pegasus, you, you guys are, are big into the warehouse space. Yeah. Um, you know, that that labor shortage that, that you're talking about. Yep. Uh, have you felt the effects of uh, of that? We we did. So, I mean, it's it's kind of funny. Um, so many and people- how is the, how is the warehousing market? I mean, we were talking about the ocean, you know, bottom feeders, you know, truck ball, get out. Warehousing is still pretty robust. We're building on the warehousing front, um, expanding rapidly with new facilities right now that mm-hmm. a lot of high-tech customers are pushing us to. But I think what's interesting for us and learning for us was so many people, you know, we value our employees, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we have this amazing culture. But what we had for a while there was we had probably a higher temp ratio in our warehouses. And so what we recognize is how do we connect with our people and how do we maintain um, lower turnover rates? And so yeah. we made a lot of our warehouse folks permanent to help offset um, the the massive influx of people moving in and out of warehousing. Because what happened in the last few years is you make $18 an hour and then somebody offers you 19 and then somebody offers you 20 mm-hmm. and it's a fight. There's no loyalty. So um, really staying people-centric, focusing on the culture aspect, and then making sure that we show our commitment to our people by transitioning them to permanent employees was, was a big, big deal for us. And it's helped us mitigate the, all the, the labor dynamics. So we haven't had many challenges there outside of just trying to stay ahead of the road. Yeah. And so on the warehousing business side, still excess demand for, for warehousing space? I would say um, for us in particular... It is a dogfight every single week to try and find space for customers. So um, we have more asks than we can deliver on for on any given week. So I was just on a call this morning. We found 30,000 square foot of space in one of our buildings that we could make work for a, a new client. But um, making sure we bring in the right type of business is, is critical because it is, a, it is a constraint. We went from, I think, 100,000 square feet to 300,000 square feet in El Paso and ran out of space the minute we moved into the new building. So it's like, you thought you were being proactive. I thought, <laughs> but, uh, but we weren't. So I, in, in, in El Paso is very interesting. 
we've been talking about near shoring and rejet warring. Um, I'm sure you've heard a lot about that. And you went from 100,000 square feet to 300,000, yep. sold out just like that. So you know that near shoring, at least, is, is happening for sure. It, there'll, there'll be a trend over the next I think uh, I think 100%. I think, you know, everybody thinks it's easy to go to Mexico, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's not easy, but I think what you're seeing is a lot of people moving in and trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I think, yes, 10 years from now, you're going to see Mexico win big um, in the supply chain space with the manufacturers because, again, you can get to the U.S. in a day or two um, to a D.C. You can have your product to, to, to the consumer or to whoever you're delivering to within days versus that risk of, years and I mean, or, or 30 days, 45 days, in some cases like lost cargo. And, and honestly, if you look, if you look at all the cost modeling, the, the cost modeling's come down so much. It's not, it's not like you're taking a tremendous risk to move over there. It's not cost neutral, but it's not 60% higher than it used to be now, 10 years ago. One of the other big advantages that you can do is just about anywhere in the United States, certainly here in Dallas. Yep. You can get on a plane and be at your manufacturing. Oh, hell yeah. in hours. Yes, for sure. Without less jet, jet lag. Whatsoever. Yeah, for sure. This was a huge boom. No, that is a huge deal, for sure. It really is. You're talking about, you know, high value, high touch. Yep. Electronics, which got me thinking right now about risks. Yep. And, you know, you have Asia, you know, certainly, you know, the all the conflicts with China. Yep. You know, with, with manufacturing about IP. Yep. That is uh, another area that you could see an external shot system at sure. any time. Yeah, is having those trades, trade routes, trades, yeah, agreements being heavily disrupted for sure in a signature. Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting when you look. You see Southeast Asia, you see India, you see Mexico, you see where all the where people are talking about going. You've seen Apple exit um, parts of their business. You continue to see more customers exit. As a supply chain professional, you know, it's fun because your customers always have a challenge, yeah. right? Um, and nothing is status quo and nothing is it, what could be a commodity today isn't a commodity tomorrow for whatever supply chain shocks are there in the market. But um, we're watching all that. We're making sure we're talking to our customers because the way we view the business in general is, you know, you can you can deliver stuff on time, you can fill them accurate, you cannot damage their product, but those are table stakes in the market. You've yeah. got to be innovative and like, ahead of the game with your customers, or you might as well just exit because somebody's going to get ahead of you and bring that value that you can't bring. People are talking about India. Yeah. We're ta- hearing that as well. We're, we're seeing, we're definitely seeing the talk. Um, I think, you know, India's got the infrastructure challenges, um, but they also, I think, have the largest population in the world today, if not today, within the next yeah. couple of years. Um, so there, if I was running the, the, the country of India, I would be all over um, yeah. lobbying the heck out of manufacturers to come um, to 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 a less political. Yeah, um, talking about infrastructure challenges. In, yeah, and in, in, yeah, that's one of the things about moving out of China is that no matter where you move, you're going to have those same infrastructure. That's right. Problems just because it's been built up. That's right. Years, huge population. A lot of great ports yep. to, to choose from. You go to Vietnam, about 10% of the export yeah. volume of China. It sounds really good on paper, but then you have to have the, the labor and workforce there. You have to have the infrastructure. Yep. 
um, the, the plants, all the facilities to, to yep. actually do that, which makes it a challenge. Well, there, there's so many dynamics that people don't think about because, again, it sounds easy. You just go move to the other country, but, you know, half the raw materials come out of China. I, I was right. about to say that. So it's like, yeah. oh, oops. Well, we can move, but we still rely on the... the, or, the or a lot of the component parts. The component, component parts. Made there. It's kind of like it, it's kind of like Mexico. We did a video recently. I think there's uh, 10 trucks coming out of Mexico for every three going in, Yeah. right? So right. if you were to boost production in that market, we got to figure out what's going to give because yeah. that's already a capacity constraint as it is today. Oh, yeah. Well, now what are you going to do if it, if production doubles tomorrow? Yeah. So the, the market has to adapt and figure out how to one price it right to provide the capacity, but the same time at the same time, don't price it to where it's not a feasible solution to go manufacture down there. Right. In so. trucks, southbound, northbound trucks, traffic, you know, I spent six months with Moreto. Yeah. And, uh, and that was 10 years ago. Yeah. And it was, it was pretty tough. For sure. They tried over the last 10 years, probably even gotten worse of that mismatch. Yep. You said, wait, three southbound for every 10 coming up. Yeah. You feel the the, the pain of that, and it's, it's hard to get capacity in the right location. For sure. That's for sure. Yeah, we had a client that had, we put we had to put tracking devices on the trucks, not for the transit, for the, for the actual uh, bridge crossings. Yeah. Because they would get stuck there so long and they were trying to get cargo to El Paso to then flip and get to Marnier. And that those those delays would impact how they would distribute. And so it was more important on the bus than it I mean on the uh on the actual bridge than it was on the while the truck was moving. Moving in South. So, yeah. And to, yeah. When you look at twenty twenty three and into twenty twenty four, I mean what are your what are your thoughts? Where do you see the market? Where 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 do you see the sentiment? Um well, I saw today uh, the inflation data came out. I think we're 12, 12 months in a row it's declined, yep. which I think is going to be good for the overall economy, um, which should be good for the transportation world, uh, future state. But I think everybody, anybody in transportation, honestly, anybody that probably reads the news knows that I would say we're in a little bit of a freight recession, right? Tonnage is down, um, rates are down. That's not good for asset-based providers that are having to, to, to fund all that equipment. So- I think we we would hope to see a turnaround um, in the year going into the next year that would um, would help a lot of these these shippers and manufacturers most importantly, which then would help the the um, transportation companies on the back end. So it's really good news. Inflation's down to three percent. Been going down month over month. It's been a, a tough for for a lot of people during that the interest rate rates uh, during that time as well. Do you see any other green shoots for? You know, certainly the economy in general, but, you know, what's good for the economy is good for transportation. Yeah. I mean, I, I always tell, I always tell all my friends, I'm like, I'm the indicator. Yeah. You got to come see me because like we ship, we ship the stuff so we can see the tonnage declines. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, outside, of, I think, I do think the interest rates are still bad. Right. So I even see it with automobiles, boats, all that stuff. You're starting to see sales go down yeah. because people don't want to pay 8% interest on a new car or a, a boat or whatever it is. Um, but I think hopefully the, you know, a lot of what happened during COVID was people imploded with inventory, yeah. right? So that's, that's a lot of the reason why the warehouse space is so tight mm-hmm. is people got, got, um, overrun with inventory due to the panic of not being able to get cargo across the world. So I think as that inventory bleeds out, I think we'll start seeing the, we'll start seeing one more capacity in the market. And then two, you'll see some more investment you'll see manufacturing activity go up. And so hopefully that's sooner than later, but, um, 
I would have never predicted the pandemic. I would have never predicted uh, what happened to transportation during them during that time. So if I knew, I'd be a millionaire. But I'm not billionaire. If you used to, if you could do that, it's 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 interesting that right because you can look at all the green shoes and kind of kind of say this is what's going to happen in 2024, but yep. then it usually is some surprise that comes out of left That's field right. that moves the market, moves That's the right. world. Is is I mean, you, you've got you just wanted that, right? Yeah, you got UPS strikes talking. I think you exactly. got you got the Teamsters fighting with YRC right now. Um, you know, a lot of those are. It typically, in my experience, doing it 25 years, a lot of that's yeah. tactics. But if it happens, uh, disruption across the market can get really crazy really yeah. fast. Um, because and it will. Yeah, nobody can handle that capacity. It sounds easy. I'll just get more trucks yeah. but uh, or planes. But it's not that easy with the amount of critical mass those those providers move on any given day. And I don't think anyone should doubt that at all after going through the pandemic. Or okay. a different reason exactly. of finding that capacity, but it's going to check down to, to the same effect, right? Exactly. Scrambling to find new providers who can take on. That's right. And, and actually, yeah, and I think you're right because I think you're going to have people take it a lot more serious than yeah. they would have taken it five years ago. I think everybody's taking all of the supply chain um, potential risks. Everyone's still in shock. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they so. are. <laughs> well, Hiram, thanks for, for joining me today. Yeah, um, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, how does our, our viewers or listeners reach out and, and contact you directly? Um, just LinkedIn. go to, yeah, LinkedIn, Hiram Partnet. Um, I'm based here at Corporate. Uh, pretty amazing company. I can connect to with anybody. Um, we're always hiring, looking for awesome people. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you. Awesome. And this is going to wrap it for this episode of Put That Copy Down. Thanks, guys. I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive? I got expensive, cause when is expensive? I've been reading out of work. And I've been shutting out the stars.